My name is Herb Montgomery, and I'm the director of Renewed Heart Ministries. We are a not-for-profit group that is passionate about rediscovering, following, and helping others rediscover the teachings and sayings of the historical Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that these teachings have an intrinsic value in informing the work of nonviolently confronting, liberating, and transforming our world into a safe, more just, more compassionate home for us all. If you would like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, I'll tell you how you can do so at the end of this podcast. For now, we simply want to thank you for listening. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. This is episode 172, I believe, of the Jesus for Everyone podcast, and our title this week is John's Inquiry about the One to Come. Our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q 7, 18 through 23, and John, on hearing about all these things, sending through his disciples, said to him, Are you the one to come, or are we to expect? someone else. And in reply, he said to them, Go report to John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk around, the skin diseased are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor are given good news. And blessed is whoever is not offended by me. Our companion texts are Matthew 11, 2-6. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent to his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have had leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Uh, Luke seven eighteen through 23 John's disciples told him about all these things, and calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask. Ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So they replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As we've discussed briefly uh, last week, the story of the centurion and and Jesus as as a healer and and the liberation sayings of Jesus in the gospel narratives, uh, they all lead up to embracing Jesus as the the one to come that John is referring to. Again, the blind receive their sight the lame walk around the skin diseased are cleansed, uh, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor receive good news. And Jesus is proof of these liberatory hopes and expectations. Uh, yet there are two kinds of liberation here. One is physical, and the other is economic. Uh, understanding this is one of the, the hooks, I think, for me personally, that prevents me from just simply throwing out the Jesus story. Yeah, the Jesus story includes supernatural healing stories. 
stories, but its primary focus is not Jesus the miracle worker, nor is it Jesus the magician, but rather it's Jesus the liberator of the suffering, the poor, the oppressed, the, the disinherited, and the marginalized. Liberation is the genus of his ministry, and, and physical healing and economic healing are simply two distinct species of that healing. And it's, it's worth noting that the original Jesus followers were not postmodern, modern, post-enlightenment people like we are today. They were a, a product of their, their own times, and the Jewish worldview that they subscribed to uh, most was a, a Jewish apocalyptic worldview. And I, I wrote on uh, the tenets of the Jewish apocalyptic worldview or Jewish apocalypticism, apocalypticism sorry, uh, uh, previously. You can, I'll, give, I'll put a link to the article, The End of the World, Savior versus Present Liberator in uh, this week's uh, eSight. But as we've shared before, the apocalyptic worldview influenced by Zoroastrianism is, and, and others saw this world as, as a visible expression of a much larger behind-the-scenes cosmic conflict between the forces of good and evil. Earthly, political, and physical forces were, were only the extension of that cosmic conflict. Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, Greece, Rome would have all been viewed by Jewish apocalypticists as simply the, the puppet empires of Yahweh's and Israel's cosmic enemies. And they applied this belief in cosmic war uh, to physical illness and, and to disabilities also. Uh, they had no understanding of germ theory or, or physiology or even insight uh, that modern people have into anatomy. If someone was sick, uh, just as an example, it was the work of unseen cosmic forces, which from that person's uh, perspective, they needed liberation from. And healing uh, was not uh, uh, supernatural, so to speak, for them. They didn't have that term, that even way of looking at it. Um, rather, it was liberating. It was, about, it was uh, about an assumed relationship between a seen effect and an unseen cause cause that they needed liberation from. So for Jesus to be a liberator in the way that his original audience would have understood it, Jesus's liberation had to include economic and political liberation in addition to these healings. And the fact that it also included uh, physical healing, it classified Jesus as the complete liberator in an apocalyptic dualistic sense as well. So, so this would have been deeply significant to first in, in a first century setting. So and also, I want to point out this week, there's a noteworthy transition. Uh, there's a, a difference here between the traditional apocalyptic liberator and the Jesus of the Jesus story uh, that we have to consider. Uh, Sang's Gospel Q begins with John's announcing of a coming judgment. And this is very apocalyptic. He said, this is Sang's Gospel Q 3, 7 through 9 and 16 and 17. He said to the crowds coming to be baptized, snakes litter. Who warned you to run from the impending rage. So bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to tell yourselves we have a forefather Abraham. For I tell you, God can produce children for Abraham right out of these rocks, for the axe already is laid at the root of the trees. So every tree is not bearing fruit, healthy fruit, is to be chopped down and thrown on the fire. I baptize you in water, but the one coming after me is more powerful than I, whose sand I am not fit to take off. He will baptize you in the spirit and fire. His pitchfork is in his hand and he will
will clear his threshing floor, gather wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with a fire that can never be put out. And and just as the apocalyptic worldview viewed visible agents on earth as conduits of cosmic good or evil forces, John's statement and in, in the apocalyptic worldview as well looked forward to a dualistic judgment where the earthly oppressed conduits of cosmic good uh, would be vindicated and, and liberated while the earthly oppressors, um, viewed as the conduits of cosmic evil, they would be judged and punished and destroyed. And, and, and he foresaw liberation for the oppressed, but he also foresaw vengeance on the oppressors. Sang's Gospel Q shows a transition from John's more punitive liberating judgment to Jesus's restorative liberation. For Jesus, the humanity of both the oppressed and the oppressors would be restored. And you can look at last week's e-site uh, to, to recall how, how this story relates in the story of the centurion. But the liberation uh, represented in the sayings of Jesus uh, was not simply justice for the disinherited and vengeance on their enemies. It was also a liberation marked by the healing or the restoration of both sides, the, the subjugated as well as the subjugators. Jesus's liberation called people away from dehumanizing, um, especially a dehumanizing way of domination, where we endlessly create more and more effective ways of achieving uh, power and control over each other. And, and, and Jesus instead cast before our imaginations a world where mutual aid and, and, and resource sharing uh, were together, uh, they were to work together to, to survive and, and, and then thrive as members of an interconnected uh, human family. When one couples this description of of uh, liberation, what the liberation of Jesus looked like, a very Isaiah-like uh, character of healing and restoration and liberation and good news to the poor, with last week's section of the gospel narrative of, of him uh, healing or, or, or uh, even benefiting the, the centurion, the point becomes stark. Jesus emerges not as a liberator-wielding mass destruction on enemies, but as a, a liberator who works through restoration, through healing, and even the nonviolent transformation of one's enemies. It's, it's a humanizing liberation for all. And granted, those who benefit uh, from the way of domination, like the, the, the dominators or, or, or those who participate in some way, uh, they don't see Jesus' liberation as good news, and, and, and they didn't in Jesus' time either. As Peter Gomes states in his book, uh, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, this is from page 42, he, he, he writes, The last will be first and the first will be last. It, this is counterintuitive to our cultural presuppositions, but it is invariably good, no, good news to those who are last and at least problematic news to those who see themselves as first. What is good news to, to people at the bottom of the social pyramid will never be perceived as good news to those at the top. And we're going to talk about more of that next week. But Jesus's liberation uh, was also problematic to those among um, 
among the people who who thought violent revolution was their only hope. And I want to talk about that for a moment. A nonviolent revolution did not seem very promising in in the first century. And remember, this was before Gandhi and others had demonstrated nonviolence. Uh, the, though it may seem otherwise, uh, liberation rooted in enemy love and, and transformation rather than mass destruction of one's enemies, uh, it may not seem like it, but that kind of liberation is good news, even to the oppressed. Matthew and Luke both use the narrative of, of John's disciples to connect Jesus' liberation of the poor and the impressed uh, with, the, with the liberation that Isaiah looked forward to. Matthew includes this theme in his expansion of Mark, and Luke expands this theme even more so in, in his own gospel. But an example of Luke's greater emphasis on liberation is the, the, the story found in Luke from Luke chapter 4, 16 through 20, where Jesus who by all cultural expectations should have been illiterate, he actually reads from Isaiah itself. And you can cross-reference uh, Luke 4 with Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. For Q and Matthew and Luke, Jesus is the long-awaited arrival of the liberation that Israel had been looking forward to since the, the days of Isaiah. And Isaiah 35, 5-6 states, uh, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Uh, th- this is the, the, the verse that Jesus's answer is based upon in Sayings Gospel Q. Uh, but the nature or the character of Isaiah's liberation, it, it brought its own set of challenges, some, some of which we've mentioned this week, but but one element of the liberation found in Isaiah, which, which would have been uh, puzzling to them in the first century and still very puzzling puzzling for many today was this image of a, a suffering servant, which I believe ties into that more nonviolent means. But it's important to realize that the, the Jesus of the Gospels is not inventing nonviolence. He, he's simply taking the nonviolence in Isaiah seriously. He, he's leaning into it. He's exploring where it could lead if skillfully and intentionally applied to his own day and the dynamics between Rome and the Jewish poor. And lastly, this week, let's talk about uh, healing versus destruction. Today, we must be careful in, in both uh, the religious and, and in secular settings not to describe the liberation that we're working toward as a vision of destroying people who oppose our work. Our goal is not to destroy our enemies, but to transform them by winning them. And John the Baptist, one to come, was a destroyer. He was a, he separated humanity, bringing fire upon uh, the chaff. But, but Jesus doesn't quite line up with that description in it causes John to question whether the people should be looking for another. And Jesus teaches John that his liberation was quite different. It was to be a, a different recompense. Uh, Jesus's liberating ministry is, is characterized by the healing and the restoration and, and a radical change in the lives of those the status quo had impoverished for sure. Uh, but it was also a radical change in humanizing even the oppressors. 
years. And that passage from Isaiah, I can imagine they they felt especially applicable where it talks about water in the desert. Rome had already made life a desert for, for the majority of Jewish citizens through violent oppression. And Jesus did not come as another destroyer promising peace, but as a, a teacher showing the path toward liberation, towards life and healing. And he pointed the way to a world where Isaiah and Micah, where, where as they had hoped for, there would be enough for everyone. In Isaiah 2, 3 through 4, it says, Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word from Yahweh, uh, from Jerusalem, the word of the Yahweh from Jerusalem. He will govern between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And, and Micah also states almost word for word, many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then Micah adds this statement, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. This is a world where liberation has come, and oppression and violence and injustice have been made right, and and, and the world that is a, a safer, more just, more compassionate home uh, for everyone. The question that we're returning to in this series over and over again is whether the vision cast by the Jewish Jesus in the first century has any relevance to our world today of, of corporatism and militarism and bigotry and fear. And many in Jesus's Galilean audience, they desperately longed for a change from Roman imperialist tyranny. Jesus offered a path rooted in, in our own interconnectedness with each other, a subversive way that, that called us to take up the work of, of making our world a safer home for us all. And, and to each of you who are on this path of, of healing and restoration, as opposed to the path of destruction and, and dividing one another, my hope is that this week's section of Q will encourage and confirm you in the energy that you're investing in those around you. The sayings that, that we're focusing on this week, sayings Gospel Q7, 18 through 23, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Where Whatever portion of this work you're involved in this week, be of courage. You're, you're, you're making a difference. Go out and bring liberation to those that are suffering. Heart group application this week. Uh, this week, I want you to go back and, and review John's description of what he thought Jesus would be, and then the gospel writer's description of, uh, of what Jesus actually was. And number one, try listing at least five contrasts between the two. Number two, uh, do you see uh, these contrasting visions in contemporary religious groups of people who, who value the Jesus story? Uh, which uh, communities do you see um, continuing John the Baptist's work of warning of coming destruction and living an ascetic life and, and crying out, repent? 
repent? And which communities do you see or do you sense are, are focused on healing and liberation from suffering here today? And which communities like the one in which I grew up are, are a hybrid of both possibly? And then number three, discuss with your heart group how you can lean into being a community centered in healing and restoration and, and pick at least one action step from your discussion uh, to begin implementing. We are in this together. There's still so much work to do. And I want to thank each one of you for, for, for being on this journey of, of transformation and restoration too. Keep living in love till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each one of you. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our, our many educational events that we do in various venues, is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources and remember every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are, are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue being a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. <laughs>